0: about to let you as deep into uh, my marriage as I'll probably ever let you. On Valentine's Day, Bryn and I, after we had had a nice dinner, were sitting and listening to a band at a, a place we like to listen to music down in Salem. And uh, we are having a conversation about whether or not we are going to try to have children again. And uh, the conversation went something like this, Bryn... In a sad way, I, I want to still try. I want to have a baby, and me, uh, in a not-so-sad, uh, more stern, more uh, resolved type of way, I just can't go through it again. I can't do it again. And uh, and we sat there and talked about that, and it, it is true that it would be hard for me to go through another miscarriage, and I've I've analyzed that a lot, because usually I'm I'm a fairly, I'm, I'm actually a really tough person, just to be honest with you, not like in the tough guy sense, but uh, I just, I've been through a lot in my life, and there's not much that I can't handle, uh, but I just felt like, and I feel like I can't handle it partly just because I had to be so tough through it for my wife, I couldn't just break down and start crying, which would be more normal for me than for Bryn, um, now that I've told you I'm tough, I can say that, uh, and uh And so I think I just had to kind of swallow some emotions, and I just, it's like, I I don't feel like I can do that again. But the truth is, the truth is, one thing that I have learned in my life is that I can go through anything, and I can go through anything again and I know this because life experience has, has taught me that there is nothing that I can't get through with the help of God. And I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but we're gonna kind of talk about why that's true for Bren and why that's true for, for me this morning. Uh, but it, but it, it, as cliche as it might sound, it's absolutely the truth. There is nothing in my life, I, I just know, and I have no doubt that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that I can't get through. I can deal with anything. And the reason I can deal with anything is because I learned the truth of, of Psalms 94,18 and 19, a passage I, I said to you a couple of weeks ago in my sermon, and I want to read it again. "When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I learned those two verses at a time in life that was very difficult, and I would say them with my grandma every single morning as I went out the door on the way to school. I would repeat them, not in that translation, which makes it a little difficult to read, but, but I, I would say them every morning. I learned the truth of these verses. When my foot is slipping, God's faithfulness supports me, and when I'm filled with cares, this reassurance soothes my soul, and it makes it so that I can get through anything, and here's the thing. Uh, Yesterday, I I conjured up a wonderful uh, illustration for what it's like to have your foot slip and really what grief and anxiety are all about, and I I was, this is going to make me sound like husband of the year award right here, but I was uh, cleaning the gutters at my grandparent-in-law's house, and uh, they have a, a huge, beautiful garden. I mean, it's like an acre big garden, and that's really hard to take care of, and uh, and it surrounds every part of their house, and so, uh, in order to clean the gutters, the gutters are nice and wide, you guys that clean gutters know what I'm talking about, they're really easy once you get up there, but you have to put the ladder in some really, like, weird angles, and you gotta kinda take some chances, and so, I'm, I'm up on this ladder, and I, I, it's an eight-foot ladder, this is actually shorter than the ladder was on, so I'm up on the ladder, and I'm being an idiot, um, and I got like, I'm not gonna go any higher because now I'm scared of ladders. I wasn't uh, yesterday, but I'm out on one leg like this because there's a tree here, and so I'm kind of at an angle trying to get to these gutters That are are some distance away, but you got to get the corners, and it's actually the corner with the downspout. If again, if you know anything about gutters, and so you really got to get the downspout spot clean. If it was the other end, it's it's not a big deal. And there's mud, uh, and it wasn't too rainy yesterday, but but they have an overhang that's just outside of their kitchen, and so this area hasn't received much sunlight. Very, very muddy. And so I'm out, and I'm grabbing a crossbeam that's underneath uh, this covered kind of area, and so it feels kind of safe because if you have a crossbeam, then everything's going to be okay, right? And then this back left leg just started to swivel, (laughs) and I'm up on the ladder like this, and again, it's an eight-foot ladder, so my upper body's probably 13 feet in the air at this point, and it's, it's going down. There's no denying that, and somehow, I get a hand on it, and as you're going down with a ladder underneath you from, you know, 13 feet in the air, it's a lot like grief, I mean, it's a lot like anxiety. You don't know what's going to happen. You fear the worst. Uh, I did hit the ground, and I can show you my neck is swollen right here. I hit shoulder and neck first, and I laid there for a split second thinking, Am I dead, first of all? And I always have these weird thoughts and near-death experiences, like maybe I died and everybody else is mourning my death right now, And but I think I'm alive. Um, I don't know, I know it's a weird thought, but I had that thought, and then I thought, okay, I'm probably not dead, and nothing's broken. Do I have any concussions? And I'm not sure about that yesterday. I'm still not sure if I did or not, but I think it was okay. And and, and I'm laying there, and then the sermon illustrations are just flowing through my mind as I'm trying to yell, I'm okay, I'm okay. Uh, sermon illustration, the first first one, it's a different sermon altogether, but it was like, I could hear my dad's voice, uh, like, just, it was like a flashback, maybe I did have a concussion, to like nine years old, the first time I really got hit with a baseball, and it split my lip, and I'm bleeding, and I still tried to make the play, and I just, is like, my, my dad's like, let's, I'm gonna hit you more ground balls, because if I don't, then you're gonna be scared forever, and something, I gotta get back on a ladder, or I'm gonna be scared of ladders for the rest of my life. Sermon illustration, right, like, I was ready to go. But the other one was this, like today, this is grief. Like grief is the falling process and sometimes when grief is bad enough, it's the landing process and the pain that you feel in the midst of whatever caused the, the foot to slip, whatever caused the leg of the ladder to go out from underneath you. And these promises, that when we feel our foot slipping, God's unfailing love supports us and when we're filled with cares, which I was for that giant one second that was about an hour on the way down... Uh, as I was filled with those cares, you know, and, and not yesterday, but in our lives, God's consolation brings us joy. And the question is, how? I mean, if, you've, if you're not a person that's learned to lean on God when your feet are above your head, and you're not a person that's learned to lean on God when your life has kind of come crashing down, then, then you might go, what does that look like? I mean, how? How? I mean, it's not like God comes down and pats you on the back or anything like that. So what does that look like for God to hold you up? And it looks a lot of different ways. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, God might pat you on the back, I don't know. And God might bring you an encouraging word from somebody else. And God might just do something that's more miraculous. But one of the key ways that God has consistently done this in my life is through the promises that he has made in the Bible. And in Romans 8, we see a section of scripture written by a man named Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus. He told really the whole world at that time uh, about Jesus and about the fact that Jesus had died on a cross and rose again. And, and the book of Romans is this beautiful, in my opinion, is the most beautifully written book. And, and he talks a lot about theology and how we ought to live our lives. And somewhere right near the middle of that, in Romans 8, it's 16 chapters, he just stops to talk about God's place in our suffering and our difficulties and the hurts and the pains that we experience in those moments when our feet have slipped. And we find these promises, really three promises, that for me encompass my hope. And I think they encompass Bryn's hope. And the, the hope that we have that no matter what we go through, whether it's miscarriage or loss of loved ones or sickness, whatever we're going to go through in this marriage that we have, it, it won't matter because we have this hope. And, and the hope is summarized in these verses. Romans eight eighteen is where Paul starts it. And this is what he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, this word consider is important because it's not just uh, the way we might think of the word consider, the way we might consider the word consider. In fact, it's not just like, I think it might be kind of like this. The word refers to like a calculation. And so Paul is, is like, I've calculated. I, I know God well enough. The Holy Spirit's in me. And, and I, I've come to the conclusion." is what Paul is really saying, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, suffering is exactly what we're talking about. Suffering can take a lot of different forms, right? And there's, there's the physical form of suffering, and there's the emotional form of suffering, and there's the spiritual form of suffering. And in this series, we're talking about a specific form of suffering, I guess, and that is grief. It's just the feeling of loss and all the emotions that come when we lose something or someone and it hurts and the pain that that follows the losses in our lives. And Paul says that this suffering is not worth comparing to the glory. And here's the thing about Paul that makes this even a more staggering sentence is that Paul suffered more than any of us in this room. Paul, like, saw persecuted Christians, so his friends and his family are being beaten. He probably watched persecuted Christians die at the hand of the emperor Nero. He also was beaten and flogged and shipwrecked and arrested and made fun of and beaten some more. And his life, because of his work for Jesus, was one giant moment of suffering. And he tells us in certain books that he finds joy in Jesus, but you get the impression that the joy is only in Jesus, not in the circumstances of his life. And so, for some people to say, "Like, yeah, my suffering, you know, because I got a flat tire last week," that's not worth comparing to the glory that we will receive. That's not a big deal. But for a guy that's been beaten and shipwrecked and flogged and almost died on more than one occasion to say that his sufferings won't compare to the glory, then you have to take no. I mean, then you have to pay attention. And he doesn't actually say the word comparing. That's actually added for the sake of fluid translation. He just says that his sufferings are not worthy of the glory that we will receive. And when he says glory, he's referring to what will be revealed in us when we go to be with Jesus if we are Christians. And what the Bible tells us is if we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and we are Christians, then what happens is we'll get to heaven someday, either by our own death or the return of Christ, and we will be revealed for what we really are. We will be revealed as children of God, and we will be revealed as sinless because Jesus died for our sins. It's really an incredible thing because when I think of being revealed, it's like, well, I don't want to be revealed. You know, there's things about me that I don't want you to know, but the Bible tells us because Jesus gave his life for us, because Jesus died for us, we will be revealed as something amazing and incredible. It's like the sinfulness will all be taken away and God will look at us and go, my child that I love, my glorious, perfected child. It's pretty incredible. But Paul says that his sufferings are not, worthy of that there's two really important things that that tells us first of all it tells us that no matter what we do we cannot work our way into heaven a lot of people think like if i just if i just do enough for for jesus for god if i live a pretty good life if i if i give some money to a church if i go to church on sundays and maybe even if i'm in a connect group then then i'll be able to get into heaven And I just want you to take note that Paul has been beaten and flogged and tortured and and thrown in prison and shipwrecked all for Jesus. You probably can't compare your circumstances here in America to that, right? And he says that that is not worthy, that does not add up to the glory that I will get. I mean, if you can think of a scale and Paul saying, look, here's all my suffering, and it seems like if I, it, this would be, it could be enough cost or whatever to pay for this, this glory that I will have someday. He says, it's not even close. It's not even worth comparing. It's like walking into a, a Ferrari dealership and saying, hey, I have this $5, and I, I just, I would like a Ferrari. Can I have one? They're going to laugh, right? They're going to laugh. And Paul's saying, like, it's a laughable comparison. It doesn't matter how much I suffer for Jesus. It doesn't matter how much I try to do for him. It's not going to get me into heaven. I'm only going to get into heaven by believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world and giving him my life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul's saying, look, nothing I do, nothing you do will ever get you into glory. It won't ever make it so that your sins are forgiven. It won't ever make it so that you're the son of God. It won't ever make it so that you have eternal life and perfection. It won't happen. But you can give your life to Jesus, and you can look forward to all of these things. That's incredible, and it's important. It's important. Because I would go out on a limb and say there's even people who are in our church that still, still think, like, I've done pretty good. I might be able to get in there. I go to church every week. And you think you're a Christian, but you haven't actually accepted that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. You think you can save yourself, and you haven't accepted the fact that Jesus died for all of your sins, and there's no way to work your way into heaven, and you haven't given him your life. And today's the day to do it. I know this is probably true even in our church because of a conversation I once had. It's one of the most regretted conversations that I've ever had, actually. I was teaching at the retirement home, which I do once a month, and uh, I was talking to this lady, and she had questions about Christianity, and there's um, there's some... mental care patients there that, are, that have dementia. And so, you know, it's hard to tell what's what's kind of a real question and what's just kind of forgetfulness or whatever. But she, she's asking questions about Christianity, and I was like, you, you, can, you can know you're a Christian. You know that, right? And I, she's like, oh, yeah. I said, well, how do you know you're a Christian? And she said, I sang in the church choir for a lot of years. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. I don't expect they're going... I don't go there expecting to to try to lead somebody to a relationship with Jesus. I just kind of go there and teach to people that I assume often are Christians. And, And the conversation is regretful because somebody else almost immediately that was there said, oh, she's a Christian, don't worry about it. And I didn't have the conversation. I never saw the woman again. And it bothers me to this day because she may have been a person who was trying to work her way into heaven except instead of having a relationship with Christ. But the other part of this that's really important Is that it shows us, Romans 8, 18, that that we can know that no matter how many bad things we struggle through, no matter how difficult our life becomes, it doesn't compare, it won't add up to the glorious eternity that we look forward to as Christians. It's a wonderful promise because it tells us that it doesn't matter how bad things get now, it's not even a comparison to what someday we have to look forward to. And isn't that something that we need in the midst of pain, and in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of all the difficulties we face? Isn't it just if somebody would tell us it's going to be okay someday and we could really, really believe them? Wouldn't that, doesn't that bring us some level of peace, some level of comfort? And here what Paul is saying is, look, not only is it going to be okay someday, but the things you're suffering are very small in comparison to how great... The glory will be that someday you will live in if you are a Christian. This is an important promise. And it's not something that we should take lightly. It's not something that we should gloss over and go, yeah, maybe I've heard this verse and no big deal. But this is like, look, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad you think life is right now, no matter the regrets that you have and the pain that you feel, know this. They don't even compare in magnitude to how amazing eternity will be if you give your life to Jesus time. Paul says, look, there's a couple things you need to know. You're not alone in this. All of creation is wrong. It's not what God intended it to be. The word uh, at the beginning there that he uses frustration is a word that means that it hasn't been exactly what it was supposed to be. It's not living out uh, its potential. And so when you look at the world around you and, and beautiful at times, especially when we can see Mount Hood, it's gorgeous, but it's not everything that it was supposed to be. Things die, even trees die, and we look at it and we go, this isn't how God created it. This is not what it's supposed to be. It's not everything that God intended for it to be. And Paul personifies creation, saying that creation is groaning, it's making a noise because of its pain and its suffering, and it's not being what God intended for it to be because sin came into the world through people's choices. And he's saying, look, even creation, all of it, everything that you can see, everything that exists that God made on this planet, all of it is eagerly awaiting the day when God's children will be revealed as his children, the day when Jesus returns and we as Christians go into glory pretty crazy to think about, right? I mean, a lot of times we think we suffer alone, like I'm the only one who's ever felt this way, right? I mean, like if you ever had your heart broken by a girl or a boy, then you know that you were the only one who ever felt that pain ever, right? And nobody could understand what you were going through except for maybe one song and you listen to it over and over and over again, right? Like you you're like alone in this and Paul is saying like you're not alone. The feeling, the pain, the suffering that you have inside of you, the grief that you're experiencing, it, it it's existent everywhere. Everything feels the same because it's looking forward to the day when Jesus will make it right. He, de- he describes it as decaying. It's a word that's used for bad fruit, like rotten milk. It's like, it's all going badly. And it's not that hard to see. Just open up the newspaper, go to, go to Google News, and you will see so many bad things happening. And it's all because our world is decaying and it's eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. He personifies it further and I think it's an incredible thing for him to say. He says it's like the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, talking about creation. And I think it's awesome because it, it reminds us of a, a, very, a very simple truth and that is right now we are suffering but someday we will experience joy. I was in the room for my niece's birth. Leah, she's here somewhere. I don't know where she went. She might be in the back, and she's right there. There's Leah in the back. If you want to turn around, and me and my dad were behind a screen. We were a little too chicken uh, to be not behind a screen. Uh, But it's like this horrible thing that happens uh, in childbirth, and even by sound. Um, You know, it's like this. Somebody's in pain out there, and then and then there was a giant squirt, and that was gross. Uh, And and then we came out and everything was like it was like it never happened it was like hey everybody was screaming two minutes ago like does anybody no it was like joy and Paul uses this wonderful analogy and it's like look scream and scream and scream and squirt and then all of a sudden we're gonna be in eternity <laughs> yeah <laughs> I didn't plan that that's not written in my notes anywhere but but that's what he's saying like and then you'll be like oh I don't remember I mean, like this joy is too great to even think about that suffering anymore. It wasn't a big deal to me. It continues, Romans 8, 23 through 25. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Paul is simply saying that as Christians, we have some of the benefits of being a Christian, but not all of them. He says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Bible teaches us that if we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into us. I would be lying if I knew exactly what that looked like or how it happened, but somewhere dwelling inside of my spirit is God's Spirit. And with that comes a lot of benefits, like I have more peace, and I have more joy, and I can be kinder to people, and I, I can persevere through difficult things, and, and, and I have wisdom that I didn't have before, and I have all these benefits. And it's really easy as a Christian to go like, man, I got some of the stuff, and it's good. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is what Christianity is all about. And Paul is just saying, look, this ain't it. I mean, this is not what we have signed up for. We have signed up for the thing that will come when Jesus comes back. He's saying, look, if if what we have currently is what we have to hope for, then it's not really hope because we already have it, but we have something greater to hope for. We have eternity. We have glory to hope for. That is what makes Christianity worth it. That is what we wait for. Now here's the thing that I want to say: if you're if you're not a Christian, if you're trying to work your way in heaven, if you're not a a person that that has given their lives to Jesus, but you think like I'm at church and so that's good enough and all of that, then, then, then know this: you don't have hope. I mean, what Paul is saying is you have right now, and there's grief and there's pain and there's suffering, and I know you feel it too, and it's no good. But you don't have anything to look forward to. You don't have the first fruits of the Spirit, let alone the great fruits of the Spirit, which will be eternity in heaven. But for those of us who are Christians, and we're like, I'm, and this question comes up, right? Like, why is God letting me go through this? Why is, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Tried to answer that in one of my sermons a little bit, but it's an unimportant question because the answer to that question is, well, he won't forever. If you're a Christian, you won't have to suffer Forever. The answer to why is letting it happen in your life right now unimportant compared to it won't happen forever by the grace of God for those who follow Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, then just expect this pain and this suffering forever. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. And maybe for you, it's a far more important question to ask why. But for those of us who are Christians and we go through things and we hurt and we struggle, the question why is unimportant compared to what will happen And what will happen is that we will experience the fullness of the fruit of God. We will experience a glory where there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, there is no more struggle, there is no more death, there is no more loss, there is no more grief. Now it's interesting because he says to wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And I would just ask two questions to you. First of all, are you ready? I mean, have you given your life to Jesus? If you haven't, you're not ready. You have no hope. So ask yourself, am I ready to meet Jesus face to face? If I died right now, this is a, almost an old fashioned question, but it's still an important question. If I died right now, do I know that I would go to heaven? Do I know that I have the hope of glory that that pastor talked about on Sunday morning? And then the other question for those of us who say, yeah, I do. I know I'm going to heaven is this Are you waiting? You say, well, yeah, I'm waiting. I mean, there's no other option, right? I mean, Jesus isn't here, and so we kind of have to wait. But, but I guess for me, it's like this. Are you waiting like you wait for, like, an Amazon package to arrive, right? I don't know if all of you order things by Amazon, but we ordered a new Blu-ray player last week because ours kind of stopped turning on every other time, which is very annoying when you want to watch a movie. And so it's like, I know the Amazon package is coming, and then you can check, and you can see, like, okay, it's in route, right? And it's it was out of Portland at 4 a.m., and it's coming. and there's like a different level of waiting, right, it's not like, well, I know it'll get here eventually, and there's nothing I can do, it's like, was that the door, was that the door, like, oh, I think I heard something, Roy barked at something, it's got to be the Amazon guy, I need my Blu-ray player, you know, I mean, and and we don't do that with Jesus, and and what Paul is saying is that it's going to be so great when when we are revealed as the sons of God, I mean, how cool is that going to be, that we should be eagerly awaiting it, should be like an Amazon package is coming back. Now, we can't spend every moment just going, Jesus, you coming, you coming. Like, if, I, if you did that with an Amazon package, you would get nothing done during the course of a day, and you get fired from your job, you know? But to a point, we should have that same type of feeling and that same type of longing. I really want Jesus to come. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus again. Now I'll be honest, this is a difficult thing for me sometimes because I know people who aren't Christians and I don't want Jesus to come back and for them to go to hell, just to be honest with you. Uh, But in my own personal being, I should be so excited for the return of Christ because I know it's what I hope for as a Christian. It's what I absolutely hope for. He continues and he moves us kind of the second point, Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Second promise that we have in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our suffering, is that God's Spirit, the Spirit that lives inside of us that I just talked about, will help us in our weakness, in our inadequacies. This is a big deal, right? I mean, a lot of times, the Satan, our flesh, our minds, our thoughts, they trick us into thinking, like, I'm alone in this. And even if you feel like there's people around you, you think they can never help me with this. Like, this is too big of a problem. This is too difficult of a problem. I feel too much sadness. I'm struggling too much. I'm never going to get out of this hole. I just can't do it. And God is saying, hey, well, maybe those people in your life can't help you. You might be right. But But I'm helping you. My spirit is in you and it's helping you through the midst of this grief and this pain that you feel. And if God is helping us, then we can get through anything. He goes on to offer a specific way that God helps us, and that is to help us know how we ought to pray. And I think that a lot of times if you have been around kind of a uh, uh, grief, and you've struggled, and you know that, like, and you try to pray, and sometimes you just don't even know. You're so far in, and it's so deep, and the pain is so strong, and the hurt is is just so powerful within you that you're like, I, I would pray, but I don't, I don't really even, I don't even know what to pray, I and mean, I don't even, like, what do I do? And God is saying, Look, I'll help you know what to pray, even. Precept Austin, a site that I use for information for my sermons. sometimes, Uh, it says this, what does in the same way refer to? In the context, the comparison appears to be between the way hope sustains us in the midst of present sufferings. So in the same way, the spirit sustains us personally aiding us in our weakness, catch that? So like we have the hope to look forward to and that helps us in our grief, but also we have the help of the spirit and that too helps us in our grief. Charles Hodge in a similar way says, not only does hope thus cheer and support the suffering believer, but in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. As hope sustains, so in the same way the spirit also does. Not that the type of help is the same, but simply that they do both assist us. So, so far, we see, I mean, in the midst of our grief, if you're like, what, what are the promises? What are the things that God promises me that can help me when I feel my foot slipping, when there's anxiety deep within me? What are the things? Well, here's two so far, and we'll just talk about one more And briefly. Uh, we have hope if we are Christians. We have something to look forward to. If you're not a Christian, you don't, but if you are, you have something to look forward to that will far outweigh what you are experiencing right now, and you have the promise of God's Help. And then he says this, and I, I just, I think it's like one of the best, most awesome things in all the Bible. There's a lot of things in the Bible, like, I don't want to do that, you know, like, oh, that's kind of difficult, and that changes how I have to interact with that guy at work. But this, this, I just want to like put it, I don't want to like tattoo it to myself, right? Okay, Romans 8 28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's really important. I mean, God, through the writer Paul, is telling us that if you are in love with him, if you love him, if you're a Christian, if you're his follower, then no matter what you go through, he is absolutely going to work it for your good. That's a big deal. I mean, like you're going through the worst thing in your life and, and you're like, this is terrible and there's nothing good that can possibly come out of it and God's saying, I hate that you're going through that. I'm your fan, I'm, I love you and here's my promise to you, I will absolutely work that for your best, for your good. It doesn't matter how bad it is, it's everything, all. It doesn't matter how low you feel, it doesn't matter how much grief is welled up inside of you, God is absolutely promising that he will work it for your good. Now, I know this to be true because of my own life, just to be totally honest with you. I, I can look back in my life, and the weird part about my life is that God has allowed me to be touched by just about every type of pain and suffering that the world can kind of throw at you. But never, and I don't know why I'm blessed in this way, but never like in a... In a a magnified way, not like in a really bad way. I just, these things kind of come and they're not, they're not like as bad as the guy down the road that's dealing with kind of the similar stuff. It's always that way for me, but I can look back at just about every type of suffering in my life. And it's crazy because in the midst of it, you just, you're like, this nothing good can possibly, possibly come from this. And I can look back at every single instant of my life, every single thing that I've ever been through and see how God has worked it For my good. I mean, if you don't believe the Bible, just believe me. I mean, if you're like not a person that thinks scripture is true and that this is the word of God, then just believe me. I can look back at everything, everything that I've ever dealt with, and say, wow, I can't believe how God turned that into something good for me. Sometimes that takes years. Just to be honest with you, sometimes it's not like, well, I'm done with it, and now, wow, God, I can tell how this is better. Sometimes it's not in the way we want to get better. Uh, Sometimes it's it's something just far different or far greater or far better than we could have ever imagined or expected, but God takes everything and, and has turned it in to good for me. And the, the this is even crazy. This is just the crazy part to me. It's even stuff that I deserve and I did to myself. And, and I don't know why God has blessed me with that kind type of grace, like where I sin and I just say, God, I'm gonna be disobedient to you and I'm sorry, just, you know, you'll forgive me probably and so let me do my thing and, and then I do my thing and then there's consequences and I'm like, well, that's really messed up and now I'm grieving and now I feel guilty and now I'm struggling. And then I even see, and I don't know why, but it's just God's love, his grace in order to fulfill his promise, he even turns those things into good in my life. It's not a good excuse to sin or to do things wrong or to be disobedient to God because I would rather that God would have taught me these lessons and done these things in my life in a different way, but he has always been faithful 100% of the time to this promise. I can see how he's developed me. I can see how he's fixed some other area of my life. I can see even how he's led me in a different direction and to to greater prosperity. And and sometimes it's even like physical things where I'm healthier, I have more money than I would have expected if this other thing worked out. 100% of the time, God has worked it for my good eventually, everything that I've been through. So we have these three promises. And I want to go back to my ladder. I'll try to stay on it, I promise. Um, But I'm going to even hold the iPad while I do it. But So you're you're up on this ladder and it's life, right? And things are going okay and then you, I don't know, you either get crazy and you you grab the beam and you got the one leg out and and something happens and life kind of gives out and, and you know you're falling and maybe you haven't crashed, maybe you have crashed and you're laying there and you feel like everything's broken and you're like, do I have a hole in my neck because it's better if I don't? But life has just come tumbling down for you. Now, listen to this. I mean, just think about this. God has promised Christians a glory that far outweighs their trouble. And so what he's saying is that no matter how bad it hurts when you hit the ground, ultimately things will be good for you. And I'll tell you that my very first thought when I hit the ground and on the way down was just don't get paralyzed. You know, like do whatever you have to do to like break an arm. I'm being serious. Like break an arm, break a leg, but try not to break your neck because that's, that's a forever thing. And what God is saying is, hey, nothing that you're going through is a forever thing. It's not going to last for forever because someday you will have perfect, perfect perfection in the glory that is heaven. And if on my way down, somebody would have just said, hey, Chad, it's not going to be a forever thing. You won't be paralyzed. You'll be preaching tomorrow. Then I would have felt far less grief on the way down. But not, okay. I can handle this, I'm not gonna break anything. There's hope in that. And God is saying, look, it's not a forever thing. It might be a hard thing, it might be a difficult thing, but you will have eternity in heaven with me if you're a Christian. And then this other part, like God is helping us Right, I mean, it's one thing for Brennan or grandma to be running out and trying to fix like what's wrong, what's wrong, but to know that as I'm going down, that God is actually helping me in the falling process, and he's helping me in the landing process. I was on my own up there, and, and I'm coming down, and I'm like, I'm crashing, and there's nobody here to help me, but to know that in life, when things have come, your feet are up in the air, and life is difficult, and you're struggling, to know that God is actually helping you going to soften your landing. He's going to make things okay. He's going to be there even if you do feel broken. To know that is a huge promise for us. And then the other thing is this promise that God is going to work it out for good. And I don't know if you're like me, but every time I see a wet floor, I joke about slipping on it and falling so that I can sue the company. Um, And I I wouldn't really do that, but, but I joke about it every time. And, and I just think, like, this is a good example. If God's, like, on the way down as I was falling off the ladder, like, hey, your grandpa-in-law is going to give you a million dollars, that would have really helped. And, and, like, this is going to work out for your good. There was nothing that was worked out for good. I just destroyed the ladder, and I have a giant uh, lump on my back today. That's not good at all. But God is promising, like, for the things in life that we grieve over and that we struggle with, he's saying, look, I'm going to turn it into something good. I'm gonna, it's gonna be better than before you hit the ground. It's gonna be better than before you went this. You will be better for it because of the work that I will do. I mean, that makes like the grieving process like totally different. It's the reason that we can't grieve the same as Christians as people who don't know Jesus, who don't love him, because they don't have these promises. I mean, God is telling us it's going to be okay eventually. He's saying, hey, I'm going to help you. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to do something good through this. And when we have those promises, no matter what we go through, no matter what we go through, we can do it. We can do it with some level of joy, and we can do it with some level of peace. And we can do it again and again, and again and again, if that's what the world throws at us. I want to read two things. So they summarize a little bit what we've been talking about in this series and and I think that, that, that they'll summarize a little bit of, of what uh, I've said today. And I started this uh, this sermon series by by talking about a C.S. Lewis quote and how C.S. Lewis says, you know, when when life, uh, when you're grieving, it's like, where did God go? And he says, you stand at the door and, and you knock and there's nobody on the other side. And eventually in that book... Uh, he, he turns the corner and says, God was always there the whole time. And I, and I think these two things I want to read to you uh, remind us of that. They remind us that the promises that God has made to us make grieving something that we can get through. And the first one is a poem that you know, and if you would have told me, a week ago that I would ever quote this poem in a sermon because it's so cliche that I would have said, come on, I'm better than that. But, but I just think it's too good, and, and you know it. It's called Footsteps in the Sand. One night I dreamed that I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, When I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, you have not been there for me? The Lord replied, the times when you've seen only one set of footprints in the sand is when I carried you. The other thing is a song that my dad wrote at the same time I was learning Psalms ninety four, eighteen, and nineteen, and um, this was in my guitar case that I still have, and I was able to find the lyrics. and uh, And so this is what it fr- it's from a very personal hard time in our lives, and and this is what he wrote: When I find myself in a world of trouble, walking on my own, things have turned out painful, and I'm feeling all alone. In my darkest moments, I hear a voice above calling out my name. I won't let you go. Because I'm picking up the pieces of your life, can't you see? Picking up the pieces of your life, you can count on me. Reaching down from heaven with my strong and mighty hand, I'm picking up the pieces of your life. What I want you to here today, that my hope, brings hope, the hope of every Christian in this room, is that when we face hard things, when our feet have slipped, when the anguish is great within us, when we are grieving, it is the knowledge that God is not just somewhere in space, just kind of up there doing his thing. It's the knowledge that God is is sometimes carrying us and at other times picking up the pieces of our lives that allows for us to continue to move forward, to continue to have joy, to continue to serve him and continue to, to be whole and healthy. And I know that there are people here who are just struggling with grief of all kinds. And you, you think like, can't get through it. I can't do it again. If I go through it again, I'm going to be totally and utterly crushed. I just want you to know, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that if you have Jesus, you won't be crushed because He will be there softening the blow of your fall. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? And as we close this this series today, I I'll just ask you, if, if you're struggling with grief and, and you're kind of in a place right now where you just need uh, somebody to, to pray for you, somebody to take care of you, um, and you know that you need the Lord's help in those things, somebody really to carry you. Uh, I just want to pray for you this morning, and I want to pray that the words of the series, as we kind of went through them, and you know, I, I preached this after having recovered um, uh, from some of my grief and, and kind of came from a place looking back, which is much easier to do. But if you're like in the middle of it and you think, I don't know, I just don't know if I can get through this, and I feel. I feel so much grief. Would you just take a moment and would you put your hand up so that I can pray for you now and and later? Thank you, guys. Lord, I I pray for those people who put their hands up, Father. Father, and Lord, uh, life is hard. God, we're so thankful that this isn't it because it's not that good. And Christians, <laughs> we are notorious in, in some of our movies, God, and in, in our attitudes for trying to act like, well, now I'm a Christian and everything is better and life is easy. But, but when we're honest, when we are real, Lord, we, we can admit that, it, that life is hard. It's, we grieve, we feel pain, we feel hurt. We struggle, Lord, and it's just not that fun. So I pray for these people who are are struggling now, and they're in the midst of grief, and maybe, Lord, they can't see you, and they're just wondering, "Where is He gone?" That, that, Lord, you, your Spirit would would flow in them so strongly. That, that these promises, God, would, would be real to them and they would know that, that it, what they're suffering, God, would, would not even be close to the glory that they have to look forward to and they would know that you're helping them and they would know, God, that you will turn it into good in their lives. And Lord, not just know it like intellectually because that's kind of easy if they're Christians, Lord, but know it like in their souls and their spirit and that's a much harder place to know things sometimes, God. Lord, I pray for the people who raised their hands and, and God, I would ask that if if they have not given their lives to you, if they're thinking that they can get into heaven by, by coming to church or they, they're thinking that God, they can go to heaven just because they've kind of lived a good life and they've never actually believed that you are the savior of the world and that they must give their lives to you through faith. I pray that you would bring them to that point, God, so that they can have hope because Lord, We haven't, I have nothing. I would be crushed by every little thing if it wasn't for you. But God, you've worked and you always work in me and I know you'll work in them if they will just open themselves up to you and give themselves to you, God, through faith and what you did on that cross, Lord. Jesus, I pray for for the rest of us and I'll I'll return to to what we said in the first week of this sermon. I pray, God, that that as you have comforted us, because if people didn't put their hands up this morning, God, then it's because you have at some point comforted them. And I pray, God, that for those of us who have been comforted by you, that we would comfort others and we would point other people to you, Lord, the, the ultimate comforter, the divine comforter. And Lord, we would do our best to show people that there is a way that they can have hope. There's a way that they can have joy. There's a way that they can know that every everything they go through will turn out for, for their best, for their good. And it's you, Lord. Jesus, I, I think about the days that we have coming up. Palm Sunday, when you came into Jerusalem and people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. And five minutes later, Lord, the crowds went away, dispersed. You wept over the city knowing, God, that they had missed their opportunity at you or an opportunity at you. And I think of Good Friday that we'll celebrate here together, Lord, you just dying, just dying a brutal death. Now, Lord, you allowed for yourself to be beaten and you allowed for yourself to be bloodied through whipping, through scourging, through a crown of thorns, through punches to your face. You allowed for yourself to be nailed to a cross. When I think about those days and what they mean, it reminds me that you understand our grief. You understand our suffering and you understand our pain. Lord, it reminds me of how great it is that you would choose to feel infinitely more grief than I'll ever experience. And you did it because you love us, Lord. No matter how far we have drifted from you, no matter how far we've turned our backs on you. Lord, I pray that as we go through these next couple of weeks, God, I pray that we would look for others to share that story with, that a God who was living in perfection without any pain and suffering would come to earth and, and grieve, so that we might have life and might have hope. I pray we would share that story and that, God, you would lead people to a relationship with you so that they can have the same hope that Bryn and I have and that so many in this church have. Love you, Jesus. We thank you for sacrificing in that way for us. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.